Hi, fellow. Hi, Vicky. How are you? I'm fine, I think. Yes. You think? You're not sure? <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. It's yeah. great to have you on. Been looking forward to having a chat with you. Okay, thank you. So let's just let's just start with um, where where you live. You live down in Trickenham. Yeah. So how far away are you from the famous things in in Trickenham? I know there's a is there a a, a rugby. Yes, I'm about a about a mile from the rugby ground and about a mile from Twickenham Town Centre. Right. And other major landmarks are Heathrow Airport, which is five miles to the north. Just a stone's a stone's throw away. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And you you live you live alone. In, in I do now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a do you actually do you have a dog? I'm sure I've seen a picture of a dog. No, I don't have a dog, no. Oh, a little white dog? No. I thought oh, so. you've probably seen a picture of one. Yeah, that was on Facebook. Was um, That was next door neighbour who, who um, dog mines oh, right. for periods of time and uh, was introduced to an assortment of dogs from next door, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought mine, it was, I thought it was yours. Okay, so it's not... I like, had, it... had one long ago called Bunty, but um, oh, right. that was in the 19... 19- 50s. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> so you are um, a transgender woman, and yeah. you have, and you use the pronouns she they. Yes, that's right. And you, Fallow is not your first choice of name, is it? You used to be when I when we first met, you were Stephanie. That's that's right. That that's the um, feminized version of my original male name yeah and uh, I, I lived with that happily for a while but um then it seemed to have seemed to have odd thoughts and it seemed to be bringing too much baggage and bad memories with it so i decided to change it to something else <laughs> which, uh, and um had, had a whole series of thoughts yeah Always, always like the name Willow, but it's actually quite a quite a popular name now. But um, and that kind of led me on to thinking of Fallow. Not quite sure why, but led me on to thinking of Fallow, which is uh, which is actually without the e on the end, which is actually um, a, a colour, and it is also a, a kind of a, a tan colour, and is yes. also an old farming term for. An abandoned, um, an abandoned field. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I call it uncultivated land, which is uncultivated. Thought, well, that, that's me. That's not. That's not you at all. You know, you're very cultivated. <laughs> <laughs> but then I so, then, so how did you add the e on the end? What, what gave you that, that idea? Was my, that was my niece's idea. Oh right. Sort, sort of, because I was discussing it with her, and she said, "How about fallow, spell F-A-L-L-O-E." And I had this thought that people might abbreviate that to flow, which I didn't really want. So we compromised and I could, we just put my niece's E, which actually is her initial letter. In okay. okay. Just put that on the end of fellow. And um, so that became a... It uh, um, became the new name. That became my new name through evolution and... Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very it's a very unusual name. I've never heard I've never heard it before. 
and subsequently found that there are two others on Facebook, which means that it's not a particularly common name, but not not a total invention by me. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's very unique. I mean, I've, I've never never come across it before. Oh, thank you. It's a nice name, actually. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, 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 I think you've said in the past that you kind of went through a period where you thought you were non-binary, but you've now kind of settled on the fact that you're trans female. I think it was initially, it was a case of um, where I wanted to go to, but I then turned, that seemed to turn itself around to, well, I know what I definitely don't want to be where I come from, so I definitely yeah. don't want to be, or didn't feel male. But I wasn't sure whether I was 100% female or not, so I deliberately chose an androgynous name so that um, it gave me the options. Yeah. So, um, so that's what I've chosen. And sometimes when people call me by that name or I write it down, I thought, that sounds like a different person, but in fact, that's exactly what I wanted the get to sound like. You know, I just wanted to be somebody different and move on. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you're happily where you are now, where you've decided that you kind of reside in that spectrum. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. Now, you are currently in your seventh decade is that correct uh so, well eighth decade actually eighth yeah. decade yeah okay well wow. so, so born, in, born in 47 so, uh, 47 wow so i mean when when did you first kind of realize that there was something not right you didn't feel quite okay has it has it been a lifelong thing for you there were lots of things that from where I am now, I can look back and I can think, now that makes sense. Right. It didn't make sense at the time because you can only ever compare things with what you're experiencing. And I was, it was in the aftermath of the Second World War. Um, loads of families around, hus husbands and sons hadn't come home from from the war and this kind of thing. That, um, the, the world was still in turmoil at that, at that stage. Um, but I can always remember being jealous of my sister's clothes being much more colourful than mine and was told on more than one occasion, no uncertain terms, that your boy, you wear boys' clothes, your sister is a girl, she wears girls' clothes. Yeah. And... Uh, but very specifically, there was a style of very light jacket at the period called the wind cheetah. I don't know if that term is still in use, but that's what it was. And my sister had a nice bright coloured one with coloured edging all around it. And, and I had a plain drab old blue one. And um, I don't think I ever tried my sister's jacket on, but I think I'd have, uh, I think I'd have been sent to my room to consider my actions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you were i mean you were born in the 40s yeah so you you would have been just about going through your teenagers teenage years late 50s early 60s that's right yes i mean back back then things were very different than what they are today 
There was absolutely no yeah. kind of knowledge or, or or vocabulary around any of this. That's wasn't right. It? Yeah, I mean, from people who weren't totally normal, um, but the only at that time other considerations was that I, I would be homosexual, as it was called at the time. Yeah, and the law strictly prohibited that and society would be totally rejected would, would reject people like that and um, on the odd occasion when I would perhaps get too familiar with boyfriends of, 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 of the time I was told that um, I'd be shunned by society and all those sort of things that um, I think so, that fed yeah. the message into me fairly comprehensively yeah. that um, I had to toe the line and behave in a certain way that society expected a, a boy to behave. And, and, and I guess that's what I did for the next 50 years. Had you, had you said something to your parents, uh, you know, aged between 10, 15, what, what would, what would the reaction have been back then? Uh, would it have been well, negative? Well, I'm, I'm, Dad would have been absolutely furious because it, well, we, we'd had that kind of discussion about uh, me being over familiar with boys. Yeah. But don't know whether that was whether it was because I was gay or because um, in my mind I was female, and so therefore I would naturally gravitate towards males. Yeah. Yeah. And but the point is that it, that was many many years before I looked back and thought that's probably why that was happening and why my attempts to have girlfriends that my parents were very, very keen for me to have, because that's what boys did. They had girlfriends. Yep. And um, uh, various attempts to go out with girls ended in an embarrassing disaster. And I just put that down at the time to me just not being very good at socialising. So... I didn't try socialising for a long time after that. <laughs> did you did you go through a period where you had a lot of girlfriends, and it didn't it didn't work out each time? I had well, uh, uh, or female uh, friends. I had one. Perhaps I better not name people. I had had one who was a daughter of a dentist who lived just down the road from me, and that um, she was she was very very much a tomboy and um really liked her she, she was probably about the only one who i really got on with and um but that was we're talking about 1960s here and flower yeah. power and caftans and <laughs> you still wear those no i think they're, they're, they're long gone <laughs> but um my, my parents got very cross with me spending money on a um, a pair of loons, which were long, very, very flared trousers with lots of um, embroidery on it. I remember buying those in a, a rather hippie shop in um, Hampton. Did you did you go through the hippie stage then? You were definitely a hippie, were you? Yeah, I did, yeah, did, did that, yes. Yeah. Went, went through the hippie stage. There was a, two other girls who lived on the other side of the road from me here, and that's I guess we all went through that together, but uh, 
probably about the, the only time I got to wear sort of rather garish clothes at the time. But my parents did, did not approve. Let's just put it no. that way. So this would, this would have been the 60s, 70s yeah. more like, probably? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... Because um, I think I just missed all, all that, because I, I was born in 65, so... Right. You know, I wasn't 10 until mid-70s, yeah. so... By the time I was a teenager, it was it was eighties already. So yeah, Mr. Mr. Hippie era. And yes, my parents were not keen on my highly embroidered trousers. That, um, which I thought the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know. But um, <laughs> they weren't cheap at the time, and when they found out what I'd paid for them, I think they got a bit cross. But. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about you? What about your twenties? I mean, how was how are things then? Um, well, at that stage, um, I was uh, engaged in an, a, a, an engineering apprenticeship with oh, right. then BOAC. Well, I left school and went straight into um, an engineering apprenticeship. So you uh, left school at 16, was it? Uh, yeah, seven, seven, 16, 16 17, 17, something like that. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't do A levels. I just went to, I was. I was always mad keen on aircraft, and with the air, the airport being, you know, half an hour cycle ride away, I was always keen, and I decided to follow through on that, and um, managed to get a an, an apprenticeship, which was a highly sought after at the time. And um, so that would have been. So that, what, was that, it, what was the company called back then? It was called BOAC. then. BOAC. Yeah, actually, I, that reminds me. I, I have a little, I have a little ashtray, a glass ashtray, right? And it has it has the letters B O A C on it. Oh, and right. My father, I think he used to work somewhere near Heathrow Airport. I'm not sure exactly the story, but yeah. he he stole this from the airport. Oh, right. <laughs> and I inherited it, and oh, um, it, re always, re it always makes me smile. Assets, we call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if British Airways wants it back, they're going to have to fight me for it. Okay, right. <laughs> so when when you were working for BOAC, that was where was that? Was that at Heathrow Airport? That was actually at Heathrow. Yes. So my engineering training was at Heathrow, and uh, I spent my entire working life there. But, so um, you worked for BOAC, which became British Airways. Became British Airways that's for, right, for your yeah. entire for your entire working life. Yes, that's right. I was there for. Total of forty-three years. At, um, so, wow! That's a but the the, ad, the advantage of a very big company is there's so many different things going on in it, and that um, I was able to move move around in various departments over, over the period of time, getting involved in health and safety and training and um, mm -hmm. um, IT and various other things. That uh, had a whole assortment of things to do. And did you also get involved with aircraft themselves, maintenance of aircraft? Yes, but yeah, my, my principal job was always aircraft maintenance and um, did my apprenticeship, as I say, was originally for five years, but they shortened it down to, to four. But um, so when I did that, I then went to work on the aircraft. And uh, yeah, that would have been one of those traditional craft apprenticeships where you go through all was, the different. It was indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so, I don't know if I'd ever um, had the, the academic level to have gone to university. Bear in mind at the time that, of course, the government paid 
you to go to university. You just yes. have to stay yeah. there. Things have changed slightly since then. <laughs> They've changed slightly, but I, but you needed to be a bit, fairly bright to qualify for it. Whereas I think yeah. now you've got the money, then you can go. Yeah. Um, but um, it was um, making things and repairing things was something that I'd always done. I was um, played around with Meccano practically ever since I was able to walk, and I think my Meccano set is sitting up in the loft, rust, rusting away. That dates from the <laughs> dates from the Second World War era. Meccano, so it was it was well used even then. So. Um, we're always making things and, and inventing things, and so taking aeroplanes apart, repairing them, and putting them back together again was. Um, I mean, aircraft are very much like Meccano, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Yes, yeah, all held together with nuts and bolts and bits and bolts and bits of metal and rivets and stuff. That's right, yeah. And um, yes, because the um, the airlines were still um, BOAC still had. Um, Propeller, piston engine, propeller driven cargo planes at the time, and had the Britannias, the big, that, um, big turboprop aircraft, and had the Spring 707, and the VC 10s were just coming in when I joined. So, um, when you joined, must have been what year would that, would that have been? 1964. Yeah. Right. So I'm just trying. To, I'm trying to imagine which aircraft would have been around when you joined. Yeah, well, as I say, with the, the, the 707, we had the Comets, BEA and BOAC had the Comets. Yeah. The BOAC had the um, uh, Boeing 707s and had the DC-7 cargo planes. The BEA had the, the, the Tridents yeah. and, and the 111s. And uh, so the VC-10 was a it was BOAC's um, Bag. Oh, and BEA had, had the vanguards as well at uh, propeller driven planes. That was a yeah. real assortment at the time, you know. And but, you would have seen Concorde come and go as well. That's right, yeah. Yes. It um, tends to make you feel old when you see a, a whole project come. Well, I always remember when I was at primary school, I had to do a project, and the project I picked was Concorde, you know, and that would have been. That would have been back in the 70s when I when I was doing that. Yeah, I remember when the first one landed at Heathrow and it was towed round to the um, maintenance area. Don't forget that was still BOAC at the time the Concorde yeah. arrived. Yeah, yeah, when it yeah. first started, yeah. Yeah. Like it really does go back that far. What That's a made of aircraft. It, it started life as the, as the Super Caravelle in 1957, I think, was the first drawings of it. And it took all that time to develop. And that was some heck of a project, but um, yeah, I think they have. I think they have one at Manchester Airport now, do they? In a yes, they're, they're, they're dotted about the place. There's, there's some one at Filton, one at Manchester, and there's one at some. Um, uh, I've forgotten the name of the place now. It's a bit naughty because I've actually been there where the Concorde Museum is at um, yeah. Airbus Airbus's base. But um, what in France, you mean? No, no, in England. Oh, uh, in England. Okay. Or maybe that is Fulton. Yes, I think it, I think it, it might. Be. It could well be. It could yeah, well be. that's right. <laughs> so that was, um, as I say, when when you go from seeing something being towed in, absolutely brand new aircraft, and then many years later you go and visit, yeah. visit one in a museum. That must be. That must be really strange. <laughs> it, it is. Yes, that's right. Did you actually work on Concorde at all? Did you work I, on I, any of the maintenance on that? I, I never did actually, no, despite volunteering for it, but um, 
I'm sure it was a very sought after. It was, job. yeah. yeah. yeah look, look very good on your CV. <laughs> yeah. You could list Concorde as being there. But other aircraft at the time <clears throat> was the, uh, the TriStar and. Right. Um, uh, oh, just trying to think now what else there was, but mostly the 747 when that came in. But um, that, of course, was the. Uh, what, I suppose the second major highlight team, the, the, the 747 coming in, um, which was uh, an aircraft that was significantly bigger than anything else. Up till that time, most aircraft had been, you know, kind of incremental on size, just yeah. growing up bit by bit. But 747 was a huge step, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. 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 With, with engines that were the size of the, but the di yeah, diameter yeah. Of engines was the diameter of the fuselage on some of the earlier aircraft. <laughs> yeah, some of those some of those engines are like the size of small buses, aren't they? That's right. Yeah, big buses. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like those the buses that take all the, you know, collect yeah. all the passengers. That, that size that's, of bus. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, huge things. You don't realise how big they are. No, that's right. You must have also witnessed, the, um, you know, the the holiday package industry come to life because yes. i don't think that really started until probably end of the 70s that kind of era that's right yes mostly it was originally that was um freddie laker sky train was the oh, uh, freddie laker there's a name was the big one yeah and he made his money and got himself organized during the um for the, the berlin airlift and then when the um berlin wall was built and he had a lot of aeroplanes which were used for carrying all sorts of things to um, to Berlin and back. Yeah. So back in those back in those days, how many terminals were there at Heathrow? It would have been just the two, would it? Yes, I think it was just. Just trying to think now. There was the Queen's Building, which I think is actually gone now. But uh, and uh, of course, you go up on the roof in the Queen's Building and wave at people leaving. You know. To, yeah, you can't do that. Long, long since closed. That is. Yeah. <laughs> Place called what they called the waving base, which was where yeah, you they had a similar wave. they had a similar thing in Manchester where you could you could park your car in a multi story car park and then walk along the top of the you know where the where the aircraft taxi to pick up the passengers. I can't remember yeah. what you call it, but you could walk along the top of those things. Yeah, that's right. You can't. It's all shut down now. You can't do that anymore. Obviously, for security reasons. Yeah. Probably the um, most dramatic event I've ever witnessed was that I was coming to would I have still been an apprentice? I think, yeah, I think I, was, I was probably just out of my apprenticeship and I was going into the airport and saw an, an aircraft approaching the airport that, and the aircraft was cl clearly well ablaze and oh, wow. so I drove through roughly in the direction that was a natural instinct to go and find out what, what, was, what was going on and there were no fences in those days, so I just sort of drove on the little road that went through the middle of the airport and then went up on the grass and the aircraft just landed and um, burst into flames. So it was the natural instinct was to go out there and do something about it. Ambulances and fire engines were pouring in from all, in all directions. And um, lots of frightened and confused passengers milling around very close to the aircraft. So I just went in and, and, and led them away. Yeah. The 
it's funny that the most familiar thing that I've actually taken from the away from me was the a kind of thudding drumming sound as the foam was sprayed on the fuselage of the aircraft. Imagine pointing water at an oil drum, you get this sort of thudding drumming sound. That just helped lead the people away from. I was on the, the non-burning side of the aircraft, and, um, and 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 led people away. They were just all stunned as they oh, yeah, escaped from the aircraft, and yeah. there was sort of. I ended up with some of this grey foam. I always thought it was white, but it was a grey foam. And I ended up with that on me and ash and all sorts of other things. And, Certainly don't want to sound like a hero because I wasn't. I was just there doing what my instinct told me to do. Yeah. It's just frightened and bewildered passengers away from um, away from the aircraft and towards the ambulances. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, there's not been that many incidents at Heathrow, has there, over the years? Well, that, it seems that, to have that, a very good record. Yeah, yeah there was a, a big military jet, the, the Vulcan crashed there at some stage. I can't remember when that was now, but uh, this was, well, this must have been about 1969, I think, this mm -hmm. incident, and that the registration of the aircraft was, was WE, so it was always known as the Whiskey Echo crash. And that, um, and when I got home, Mum said, what have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've been at work, Mum. Yes. Hmm? I've been at work. That's right. Uh, 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 it was only then I really started to shake when I realised. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a, But it was just a natural instinct to help people who needed help, you know. Yeah, well, when, you, when you're in the moment, I mean, yeah, you, anybody would do that. It's, um, yeah, that's right, yeah. That's what you're there for. You know, I'm still, still quivering a bit now because that's still such a... Probably the most... Um, extraordinary experience i can imagine yeah you know but when you're in the airline industry you know the, your passengers are the people who are paying your wages and that um, yeah yeah when they're when their airplane is on fire at least at least you can do is to help you know yeah. it'll sound funny but uh, i mean that brings memories of manchester fire indeed um, which was i think it was in 86 i believe it was yeah that was so, um, another uh, terrible uh, event yeah that's right but yeah, I mean, when these things happen, there's always a huge uh, kind of safety investigation into what went wrong and lots of things are changed afterwards. I mean, that is a very common thing within the aerospace business. Yeah. Did you ever get involved with any of those kind of, you know, improvements to safety and things like that? Um, well, on, on the aircraft, there are, um, apart from just general repairs and maintenance and changing the oil and kicking the tires. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Always um, modification programs involved where minor modifications were done to the aircraft over the aircraft's life. And, um, you know, like strengthening certain things that were found yeah. that um, perhaps could have been a bit stronger, you know. Um, were you, were you involved in the, you know, the annual inspections where they remove all the interior? And oh, yes. Yeah. Do all the all stru structural inspections yeah. and things. Just, it's just absolutely amazing how much space an aeroplane takes up when you take it to pieces. When you take all the interior out, yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of space in there. Take all the seats out, take yeah. all the um, carpets up, 
put yeah. all the ceilings down, put all, all the baggage compartments, all the ceiling all panels, the, floor panels, galleys, panels. toilets, the whole thing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a, an aircraft has all the facilities almost of a hotel because you have sort of um, galleys providing food, you have the toilets, you have the washing facilities, you have humidifiers, you have yes. temperature control, you, uh, if, 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 atmospheric control, you know, air conditioning, that's the word I'm trying to think of. Yeah, air conditioning. Yeah. All these things, just about everything you could possibly imagine, you know. But when, uh, when you're doing one of those strip downs, how, how typically how long would that would it take to turn an aircraft around for a, um, you know, a full inspection like that? A month? Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that was one of the best things about it, because various friends of mine from school, um, they got jobs which I suppose might have been interesting, but either working in a factory making rivets or washers or something, or they, they became a postman or yeah. they worked in a shop, yeah. something like that. But they were doing tasks where the where the event time would repeat literally once every few seconds to once every few hours. But in my case, sometimes the event cycle, probably about the shortest event cycle of anything that I did, would probably be about two or three days. So. Um, didn't get boring because there's always something to do and the aircraft is such a complicated piece of machinery yeah and you know every they're all different not even even the same aircraft models that are different from aircraft to aircraft because they have different configurations and, and and the manufacturers had noticeably different ideas on how they should be built and how yeah. all the things should be made you know yeah yeah so you know when, when you're doing one of these major strip downs that is normally the time where they would do any structural improvements at the same time whilst the whilst the interior is out that's right yes yeah, take the whole thing to pieces and anything that's gone got become corroded with change and yeah fine control cables absolutely everything needs to be inspected and changed you know yeah. i think the i think the flying public would be terrified of us to, to hear the kind of things that you, you discover during those strip downs, you know, from you know corrosion caused by spilt tea and coffee, and be amazed how corrosive tea and coffee. Are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mixes with the floor panels and structure, it can cause That's some right. pretty bad corrosion. And then you know you've got the old the old problem of FOD, That's where right. yeah. people are leaving screwdrivers and wrenches behind and stuff. I think that sometimes get in the engines and uh, yeah. yeah, cause all kinds of damage problems yeah yes, sometimes find tools that someone had left there several months before you know <laughs> yeah so we won't terrify the, the listeners no, no. too much but yeah, it does happen now and again very rare yeah it is a very rare, rare event there's lots of safety procedures in place to make sure those things don't happen but it was it, actually it was probably more rare because the engineers used to provide their own tools oh well there you go yeah they're not going to lose a tool are they <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're retired now. You've been retired yes, for a, I, a few years. One of the other turning points in my life was having a stroke in 2002. Oh, right. And uh, yes, that's, that is a very frightening and distressing experience. But um, how shall I describe it? Well, I can remember lying on a trolley in a hospital thinking, well, this is what it's like to die, is it? You know, I mean, it can be, it was that bad. But um, over the next few weeks, I 
learned to walk again, learned to talk, learned to write again, all these things, you know, it was some... Was this before you retired or after? Yes, after you before retired? I retired, yeah. Right. Hey, British Airways were, British Airways were very, very good. I managed to come visit me in hospital and, um, and I was gradually eased back into work over a period of months, you know, gradually increasing the number of amount of time I spent back at work. So it was... That was very, very rewarding, you know. That, that yeah. And you, you've made a full recovery, thank goodness. Um, no, but it, I, I have to, bearing what's called central post-stroke pain, which is still haunts me, but uh, which is a, it's a result of brain damage. But, um, you know, it, um, yeah, but I... I I survived it. It was it was exactly the same thing that actually killed my father about ten years previously. So, um, oh goodness, it's the sort of thing that appears to run in the family, and it's just bad luck rather than anything else. Yeah. So anyway, I took the opportunity to. Um, well, I worked out on the basis that it's possible that my life expectancy would have been reduced. So, was it? Uh, I, I retired when I was sixty. And right. made the best of it from then. So, so. so yeah, you've been retired for a few years now. That's right, yeah, 2007. Enjoying, right. enjoying your retirement, no doubt. Right, yeah, retired in 2007. So, so. Just as the uh, the World Banks were falling apart. But, uh. Yeah, great time to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it was before 2008, not afterwards. <laughs> yes, 2007 I retired, yeah. Yeah, you just caught it in time then. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your um, current projects you're working on. Because you, you and I met on Tea and Coffee, which is the trans network that uh, Sammy and Jason run together. Yeah. That's how we met. I think we also met on Facebook as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I think you've been involved with that longer than I have. Because I didn't really join it until probably mid-year. I think it was around June, July, when I first started coming to the meetings. Right. I think you'd already start, been there before me. Yeah. Um, now, what, what they do, I mean, they do some great work. You know, there's some great things that have been going on with tea and coffee, with all kinds of little projects and things, and some really interesting spin-offs. Yeah. Um, and you also have other groups you're involved with. Yes, yeah, so I'm involved with um, Tea on Tuesday, yeah, uh, not to be confused, but the thing was that um, that's a, a branch of the London Friend charity who deal with all sorts of uh, transgender, um, sexuality, drug addictions, all sorts of things. They have a, a fairly broad brief. Tea on Tuesday is, is the transgender gatherings and um, and, uh, and I think that's where I concentrated my most of my attention on, but uh, also been involved with Islington Mind and Spectra. Um, right. So Tea on Tuesday is an online Zoom event, isn't it, that you host along with some yes, people right. from uh, London Friend. Such, I mean, I've been on a few of your sessions. I think the other people are Orlan Isaac, uh, Marlowe 
Mads and Tommy, and you all yeah. kind of run it together. Yeah. And every every other Tuesday, you have a, a structured event. That's right. That's right. The the original um, face to face meetings were were structured meetings on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. This is pre lockdown. It was it yes, was you, right. you were meeting yeah. in person in London. Yes, that's, where, that's where we got to know right. people, and um, one of the uh, um, young trans men there that had set up a a WhatsApp group principally for um, helping with just, just on the off chance that on the very rare occasions when there wasn't a, um, a moderator available, they would be able to say, don't come this evening because it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's not on because there's no moderator available. Yeah. Anyway, it used to be from sort of seven until nine. And after those meetings were over, we would then gather in the Parcel Yard pub, which is actually in King's Cross Station. And then we stay there until chucking out time. <laughs> and so uh, it was a good excuse to go to the pub, really. Yes, yeah, so, you know, it's the first going to the, that parcel yard um, a couple of years ago was was the, was the first time I'd ever been to pubs on any kind of regular basis at all. Pubs really just not my scene at all. And, um, and in fact, I've debated long and hard as to whether I would even follow everybody else to the pub and I thought yeah what the hell I just didn't drink orange juice or lemonade or something because I, I mean if, you, if you're not a drinker yeah the pub's not really a pub but, uh, well that's right so I just yeah. but it, I guess it was fear of missing out you know I didn't want I just yeah. wanted to see what was going on and uh, the point is it was an occasion to really let your hair down you know? <laughs> it was really really great having those mass meetings in in this pub. Uh, so how, how many people would show up for those meetings? Um, oh, at least 20. Oh, 20, that's a big, 20, big number. 20, 25 people at least. Big, quite a big gathering, you know. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that's very similar to what tea and coffee were doing in, in Tesco's uh, right. meeting places. It sounds like you were doing a very similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. But um, as I say, well, then we'd get thrown out by about half past 11 or thereabouts. And I would get to get back to the uh, the underground train to uh, Heathrow um, by about half past twelve, and I'd be usually home by about one o'clock. <laughs> a long day. Yeah. Yeah, but it was fine. But the point of the travelling in the train gave me a chance to to think and just ponder the world. You know? Yeah. But but that that tea on Tuesday. The structured session. Yeah. That I mean, some of the topics on there when I've been on have been, you know, they can get quite serious. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And is that is that the reason why it's structured so that you know, if anything, if anybody's not quite okay, they can. Well, but the actual of... meetings at the London, the actual meetings at the London Friend um, Meeting House in on the Caledonian Road, the first hour was um, kind of in, in the round forum. Where we'd introduce ourselves and talk and yeah. then raise general questions. Um, but if, if for people who actually wanted to talk about sex, then they would stay in that room while the others who weren't interested in discussing that would go and have a cup of coffee and tea and coffee and cake or something like that. You know? Yeah. 
So, um, I mean, it was a proper support thing where people yeah. were signposted if necessary and help was provided. Yes, the, the, the moderators weren't qualified specialists in, in, in the topic, but at least they could facilitate or moderate the meeting and keep it organised. And uh, yeah. and if anybody really was in distress over anything, then they'd point them it in the right direction. Things yeah. in place. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And you also do your own Saturday night lockdown party, don't you, on Zoom? Yes, that was that followed on from one of the other members who um, had what they called the coronavirus party. And, uh, but that, that lasted an, a, a few meetings and then died away because I think what happened was that the... Um, the fear and the restrictions were reducing and people starting to go out again, probably about the middle of, yeah, about the middle of last year, probably start think, thinking of going out and socialising again. So they, they dropped that um, party and, and, and I sort of picked up on, on one in the same place, which my, my circle of friends, not nearly as big as, as theirs was, so it, not not terribly well supported, but it's turned very useful because uh, about three or four weeks ago, someone um, zoomed in. Is that the yep. right expression? <laughs> zoomed in, yeah. I guess that's the right way to say it. Yeah, yeah. A, a person who was in distress and having just been sacked and got all sorts, oh of, all sorts of problems, and we were there able to help her. So it was some. Um, made it all worthwhile you know i think that's yeah. the point so um yeah I'm, i mean that's... i was getting very close to terminating the thing when this, this lady turned up in, in in strife and we were able to help her out and other people were, were at the meeting who who had the right kind of experiences and knew what to do knew what yeah. to say yeah. and i did to, to, yeah, I mean it's 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 great you're doing those things. They are, I think they're very useful. Yeah. Although they can be quite difficult at times when when things don't go quite as planned. But yeah. That's right. I I, I, I guess I'm very lucky that I've not had any any strife from anybody. Um, yeah. I've had plenty of years to save up money, and I've now have a decent pensions um, the, the principal problem that most people would have would be money and somewhere to live both of those are yeah sold for me so it's, um, which I'm yeah. very lucky and I've, I guess I've had a rather a sheltered privileged life so um, but I, I must must remember not not to keep running that thing <laughs> So many people out there have been rejected by their families and by, yeah, their, and yeah, by their indeed. and landlords and oh, we don't want people like you here. That kind of touch, you know. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of that happens, unfortunately. Yeah. We kind of uh, we, we digressed in the conversation. We were we were we were back in the twenties, and you just started your apprenticeship, and you oh, sorry, work yeah. in the British <laughs> uh, Airways, and then we kind of we di we divulged into. Uh, aircraft stuff so yeah. so just going back to you, you know your transition story when when was it when you you know you decided to tell other people 
you know, the, the fact that you were trans and that you were intending to transition. I mean, I know it was, it was quite late in life for you, wasn't it? It was very late in life, yes. When I mentioned earlier on that I'd uh, been, been in hiding for 50 years, that was, wasn't an exaggeration. That's, that is the kind of period that we're talking about because, um, you know, the law and society prevented me from doing what I wanted or being what I wanted. Yeah. As, as you mentioned earlier on, they literally weren't the words in the dictionary to describe. No, they weren't. There wasn't. Um, describe who or what I was. Um, the strangely enough, after my stroke, I started to wear much brighter clothes. I think it was probably. I'm not sure whether it was just a matter because it pleased me or because it was some kind of release or relief. But I've since been told that having a stroke can sometimes cause one's inhibitions to fall away. So that may well be hmm. what part of it, or maybe it was sort of an underlying resurgence. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I can't remember why I sat down one evening to watch a program on ITV in October 2018. But that was to turn out to be such a major turning point in my life. It was an ITV miniseries called Butterfly. I remember it well. About an 11-year-old boy, Max, who knew he needed he was female and he should be Maxine. Yeah. And the, the story, um, as the story unfolds, it, it, causes divisions in the family and all sorts of strife. And as a kind of a, um, this is what to do and this is what not to do kind of story. Yeah, so th this this was a mini series, wasn't it, on ITV? That's right. Called yeah. Butterfly. Yes. And it was it starred Anna Friel, yeah. who played Vicky Duffy, I think it was, right. from memory. And her husband in the programme was Stephen. And I know there was lots of problems between the two of them over Maxine, their trans daughter. That's right. But it was a it was a really interesting I think it was a three part thing, wasn't That's it? That's right, yeah. It was a really interesting um I think series. I remember watching it. It was it was quite emotional watching that. It's That's kind right, of yeah. triggered a lot of things in me. I, I, I think what intrigued me more than anything else was the fact that um that Max slash Maxine's sister was absolutely thrilled to have a sister instead of yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, the more or less most of the way through, so I'm just getting a bit upset again at the moment because it had such a profound effect on me, that program. But yeah. At the end of the first evening, when they put up on the screen, it said, if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this yeah. drama, yeah. go on to ITV website, mm -hmm. which I did. and. Right. There were references to Stonewall, which I think I'd heard of, but there were several other organisations which I hadn't heard of, and um, one of which was Mermaids. And now Mermaids actually appears in the drama. They were gave technical and procedural and legal advice to the uh, playwright to um, uh, 
to get things correct. And uh, um, just for the listeners, Mermaids is a is a national UK charity for which helps transgender kids. That's right. That's yeah. right. Now I didn't realise this was a real thing at the time. It was just it was just something that had been created for the for the for the drama. But in fact, yeah, well, when I was watching it, I was aware of Mermaids, but I didn't realise that what was shown in the drama was actually the real Mermaids. It wasn't a yes a make believe version. It was it was actually the real Mermaid charity that was. But, in there. Yes, as I understand it, yeah. And I think the, the person who wrote the series was uh, Tony Marchant. That's right. Now, uh, he actually interviewed families from Mermaids, didn't he, to try and, you know, for his background research into writing it. Right. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so, it, I mean, it, it was based on, you know, real cases that were going through, I think, at the time. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was um, it, it, it only needed for me to look through the credits of the um, of, of the series to find out what the um, who, who the author of it was. But yeah. um, it was um, it took me a long time actually to get a message through to him. I kept looking up Tony Marchant and. I looked at Google, Tony Marchant, Anthony Marchant, all sorts of different things. And eventually, quite by chance, my eye alighted on his name amongst some other text on the screen. And I got in touch with his literary agent, and, or TV, whatever it was anyway, his agent. Yeah. And, um, and I um, sent a message to them, I guess not really totally aware of whether there was actually going to be a... Um, any kind of response. But um, a few weeks later, I received a lovely email back from him and that, um, uh, that meant such a lot to me and, and for him, you know. At, uh, yeah. And um, I, I, I'm looking at his email now and he actually said it was really gratifying and moving to know the effect the butterfly had on you. And I salute your courage in seeing your emergence through. And that means such a lot to me. And, uh, oh, it's, it's such so nice for him to write back to you. That's yeah. That, that was just a small part of his email, and that um, I said, "Is there going to be a butterfly too?" And he said, "Hopefully." <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting. I mean, that, right. I, I intend to rewatch the original series if it's available. Um, available on DVD anyway. Yeah. And, um, I still have it saved from that time on my TiVo box. Uh, um, I'm a big fan of Anna Friel. She's done some amazing. Uh, things over the time yeah you know she did butterflies and she's also done marcella yeah and a few other things she's a really really good actress i do like her stuff but, but that 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 as i said that just became it was just like a big switch had been turned in my head yeah you know and that the, the doors open and the sun began to shine and the clouds rolled back and the birds began to sing that kind of feeling in me and Starting, starting to well up again now, as it as I remember it, because it was just so profound. And I thought that, um, thank goodness that that had uh, that that trigger had come, mm. and that uh, yeah. and that, that opened up brought, opened up my horizons immediately. You know, and I thought, well, I've been been hiding all these years about bloody time I came out. <laughs> but were, were, you, were you able to find support? 
at the time? Yes. Um, just trying to think the order actually did things in at the time, but um, I think I spoke to somebody in one of these support organisations and they said, well, your best bet, go and see your doctor. And yeah. Well, that, that introduced me to the, the, the term gender dysphoria, which I never heard of before. Right. And um, I could work out from what those words mean, from, from, from what it was, but I didn't yeah. realise that's what I've been suffering from for goodness knows how many years. Did you go and see your GP at the time? Did you indeed, go? yes. I went to see my GP. I can't remember whether that was late October or November, but saw my GP and um, there was a new doctor at the, at, at the surgery um, and had a chat with her for a few minutes and she just looked at me and said, well, clear case of gender dysphoria as far as I can see. And she just um, turned to her computer and looked a few things up and wrote down a few known phone numbers and a few names. And, and I said, well, what, um, I said, this, this is all totally new to me. And she said, oh, well, there's this organization called the Gender Identity Clinic. She said, um, would you like me to refer you to them? And I said, yes, that would be fine. And I had no idea what one of this was about at the time. It was all so totally new. Yeah. And, um, but I've subsequently, by talking to a lot of other people, other trans people, that I must have been very lucky to have such an enlightened doctor. Because Indeed, a lot of doctors would know what you're talking about to begin with. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. you'd, you'd probably spend quite a lot of time trying to persuade them to give you a referral. Well, to be fair, my... Um, surgery have been extremely supportive and helpful overall oh, that's good to him organizing the drugs and um which happened later on and um yeah. the, the was it the shared care agreement this sort of thing and yeah. they have been brilliant and i know lots of people who said uh, oh you're going to have lots of problems getting your gp to sort this out and prescribe these drugs for you and do this and do that and the other i mean th there are some great gps around there are some, yeah. They're well, not, I well, I they're was already, find, but there are lots of them. Yeah. I was already taking a, a, a cocktail of drugs following my stroke, and I'm, I'm still on various drugs. And, and yeah. they came up with this, um, and eventually came up with the hormones and other things. You know, I, I sent them an email and said, oh, can you just add these to my list of my other stuff that you prescribed for me? And they said, yeah, okay. When I mentioned this to other people, I spent months trying to persuade my doctor. Yeah, it can be a real battle trying, right, trying to yeah. get that done. Yeah. Did you did you get your referral to a GIC though? I mean, you... My referral was um, I think it was I think it was arranged in either November or December 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was uh, my GP said, well, there's one hell of a waiting list, you know. Yeah. And have you have you got through that waiting period yet? Yeah, she said it would be about two years, and that yeah. waiting period w w was up just a few weeks ago. And okay. I, have, I have actually had one communication from the IC. Right. So you've been in for your first appointment, have you? No, I haven't been interviewed. I had nothing about first appointment has appeared yet. And because of this COVID taking a huge amount of resources away, yeah. redirecting it, 
um, the waiting time is going to be at least three years. Yeah, they, they've become very... Yeah. So people who are totally dependent on the NHS are... Well, the NHS is very busy. They tend to be very much maligned, but I, I, I'm never maligned the NHS because of um, probably three occasions in my life where, they, where the NHS has actually saved my life. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they just need to they, they need to sort out the, this 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 backlog waiting time problem is what they need to sort out. Yeah. Uh, whether it needs more resources or more people or both. The only time I contacted them and then they just said, "Well, yeah, I'm awfully sorry about this, but everything's caught us on the hop." Yeah. But there's been an absolute explosion of information about this over the last few years. People are finally coming out and making it public, yeah. and then yeah. thousands and thousands of other people are saying, "Oh." That's me. That's me. <laughs> you know? yeah. So the, there has gone. been a huge increase, yeah, in the numbers. That's right. Yeah. But you've also, whilst you've been waiting, you've also taken the private route as well. Yes, that occurred at a. The, I think the first meetings of, I think the very very first meeting I ever went to for gender support, I think, was either late January or early February. 2019, when I went to a Beaumont Society meeting, actually at the London Friend, although the Beaumont Society is completely separate from the London Friend, they just share the meeting room. Right. When, I, when I arrived outside looking in through the window, um, really need pluck up courage to go in. Fortunately, I did and immediately felt at home with people. And I, um, and I was dressing female then, I was straight away. I mean, from about um, November, December 2018, I, I, I raided my dressing up box because I was very good at dressing up in women's clothes for charity runs and things, which I've done quite a lot of. Most, right. mostly, mostly the race for life thing, which um, yeah. I supported for many years. Again, maybe that was, would that have been a subconscious desire to wear clothing with a good excuse? Probably, nothing like a good excuse, isn't it? In, entirely possible. Yeah. So I raided my dressing up box and went out pretty much in the clothing that I'd used a couple of years before to do a charity run. <laughs> Jazzy tights and a, and a pink blouse. And, <laughs> and um, I, I, I I forewent the, the long blonde wig, but um, my hair was longish then anyway, because it, um, I usually let it grow longish for winter. Yeah. And in fact, still haven't had a haircut since late 2018. So <laughs> now, now it's now long enough, I can have a ponytail, which I was absolutely- Your hair is quite long. It's very long. long it's yeah. right. Anyway, the, the, once I got into London Friend building because there were pamphlets there for this event called Tea on Tuesday and yeah. that was only two days away this was on the Sunday so two days later <laughs> saw me back at the same place meeting a completely different group of people much bigger group of people and a much much younger group of people and again I just sort of waltzed straight in hi I'm Stephanie and oh welcome Yay. you know hugs all yeah. around and that, that, again, just felt so totally at home. Anyway, we sat down in this um, kind of forum where we all sat around 
around the edges of the room and all sort of discussing things. And I think it was maybe whether it was at that first meeting or certainly only about the second or third time at most I was there, people started to discuss um, GIC at the waiting list was always a very sore point and still is <clears throat> yeah. at this matter of discussion. And the, the, the name gender care came up. And as soon as one of the people mentioned gender care, several, several other people around the room sort of all nodded, oh yes, I'm with gender care and I'm with gender care. And I said, oh, tell me more. And they did, and they said it's a private organization with uh, fees to match. But I thought, well, um, so as soon as I got home, I went and looked, uh, looked them up on the internet, got in touch with them following day and um, arranged a meeting. And I said, well, um, so this, is, this is 2019 now we're talking yeah, about, so yeah. it was fine. And um, so I contacted uh, uh, one of the lead um, psychoanalysts, psychotherapists, excuse me for not knowing their, their correct terminology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it would be valid to mention the name, but anyway, I've mentioned gender care, so you can look it up. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very um, well-known people. Yes. And I said that I'd um, like an appointment to come and see you. And they said, yes, okay. Um, three weeks' time, do. <laughs> what? <laughs> so three, three weeks later, you were in there. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. And, um, and you went through that whole kind of... Um, well, I went to see one of them and right. and see this doctor and trying to think. I, I think I was wearing a book. I think that was probably, probably certainly about the, certainly the first time I've been up to London wearing wearing a skirt and that um, and it was a kind of gypsy type <laughs> hippie type thing. <laughs> she commented when I walked in. She said, "Oh, like that, mm, nice." So these are these were the hippie clothes that you'd collected in the seventies. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd I'd been out buying things by then, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. Amazon and eBay and Wish and AliExpress and all those places. All right. Amazing ranges of clothing. Yeah, and um, probably spent a lot more than I should have done on these things. But anyway, um, join the club. Join the club. Really. And anyway, you know. She said, well, from, from the conversation that I had with her and with the, uh, the way I presented, she said, you seem totally at ease in it all. And I said, yes, I am. So yeah. I'm absolutely fine. But anyway, she requested I had a, uh, a, a second opinion. And um, so I contacted one of the, she, she mentioned someone specific, so I contacted him. And uh, well, con certainly contacted his secretary anyway, <clears throat> and she said, "Oh, we can probably put you on a on, on a on a waiting list if you're if you if you can come in at a very short notice." And I said, "Yeah, that'll be fine." A few days later, on a Friday evening, about eight o'clock, I got an email saying, "Can you come in tomorrow morning at 9? <laughs> wow, that was short notice. <laughs> and I said, "The next yes, day, yes, of course." <laughs> <laughs> and that was the second meeting. Um, and at the time, I thought, well, the bills were starting to mount up by this time. But the thing was that I was in a very fortunate position of having 
all those years in the dark was state saving lots of money. Yes. But, but those bills didn't frighten me up at all. And I just think it's just so sad for people who simply cannot afford that kind of thing. So, Yeah, I mean, we're talking hundreds of pounds for some of these. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is, yeah, quite, it is quite expensive. Yeah. And um, so I then was arranged to have Beatsy and Endocrinologist, which I did in the um, opening weeks of 2020 before all the, the horrors descended. And I went to see the endocrinologist in, in his private hospital in North London. Yeah. And um, he said, well, I think I want a few more blood tests. Point is, I'm, I'm 70, I'm 72 at the time, you know, and the thing was, he said, we have to tread carefully. I've been warned about this right from the start. I said, well, there might be limitations on what we can do with you and for you because of your age and because of your medical history. And I thought, yes, I know yeah. about my medical history. I was there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> experiencing, experiencing yeah. all the fear and the strife. So, and then eventually he then got the message, yes, okay. And then he posted um, a prescription for um, hormones to me. And I thought, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so then that, that was all organized between uh, gender care and your... GP via yes. a yes. shared care plan. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, gender care make it abundantly clear that whatever they do will be in conjunction with your doctor. So will, yeah. any, any messages that they send to you, they send to your GP as well to keep the GP fully informed. Yeah, I mean, this is to make sure the GPs are fully supported. A absolutely. Yes. Endocrinologists and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that was the... Um, so... so so I mean, this is this was going on, twenty twenty, and you yeah. still you still heard nothing from the GIC at this point. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So you know you've been all the way through gender care's process. Yeah. Got what you needed right. from your GP, and you're still waiting to hear from the NHS version of yeah. this. So yeah. after so after about six months with um on, on these hormones, I contacted the endocrinologist again and said, well, what activity, what kind of events. Would be needed to, to to trigger a review of my drugs and he said oh we can do a review of your drugs straight away so he increased the um the size of my patches because yeah. at my age they don't give you anything orally because that yeah so it's patches or gel isn't it patches or gel or or, or injections but they said that patches, yeah. Are, yeah. patches are so much neater and tidier and cleaner and easier that um, yeah and, and anyway they don't give my, people my age oral drugs because potential liver damage so yeah so he then prescribed double the size of um patches and also um testosterone blockers called yeah. decapeptil yeah which is also an injection isn't it that's right yes so yeah. he, he sent me the um prescription for that and i took it to the chemist and the chemist said yes here it is that will be 350 pounds please and i thought how much well, the first prescription has to be paid by me. It was, you know, because the prescription was from the private. Yeah, because it was a private. Yeah. Anyway, not, not so, I then, yeah. so I then contacted my GP and said, oh, can you do these injections for mm -hmm. me? And they said, um, uh, no, it's too specialist. So I then contacted my endocrinologist again and said, well, they reckon it's too, too specialist for them to do. And he said, nonsense. He said, what I've well, under, to you. Under his direction, it's probably okay. <laughs> he said, well, what I've prescribed for you is exactly what I would prescribe for a menopausal woman. <laughs> there isn't no yeah. difficulty there at all. 
Yeah. So anyway, he sent a nice long letter and this huge wad of papers to my GP, explaining yeah. all the ins and outs and um, uh, 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 about shared care agreement. And, mm-hmm. and eventually, the um, they agreed. The, the GP said, "Yes, we yes we will do this thing for you." You know. So. Yeah. So you've been you've been stable with all that so ever I, since so through twenty twenty. So I had the big injection in my bum in in January this year, yeah. and. Um, and as I was just leaving the um, medical centre, uh, the receptionist said, "Oh, would you like your um, vac- your COVID vaccine injection?" And I said, "Oh, yes, please." And they said, "Tomorrow afternoon, four o'clock." <laughs> so, have you had? Yeah, have you had both vaccines? Uh, no, I had, had just the one so far. All right, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, you, it sounds like you've you know you've been through that stressful stage of. The process where you've had to sort out, you know, HRT yeah. and stuff, and now you're just now you're just waiting for the the GIC to do well, the next said, step, or you could stay with Gendercare for for it if you can. Well, the GIC sent me this huge wad of paper, about sixteen pages of stuff, but sadly, something like pages three, four, nine, six, five, three, and two, or something weren't weren't even printed. They were just blank sheets, and I said. Think something went wrong with your printing process. Yeah, I said, just send me a PDF of it and I'll print it myself, which they did, and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was some, um, but certainly um, going private is, is definitely the way to go. There are there are some organisations, some of whom sound to me sound a bit dubious, and others who are there, but gender yeah. care seems to be a a gathering together from some not only nationally renowned but internationally renowned specialists in the field. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of a lot of the people who work with gender care are also NHS workers. They are indeed. Yeah. So right. there's yeah there's a there's a bit of private versus NHS stuff going on there. That's and right. there's yeah. there's other there's other private clinics in London such as uh, London Transgender. Right. Clinic, I think uh, it's called. The Tavistock, something. I'm not quite sure now. There's lots of other names. And yeah, the Tavistock is the is the NHS one, but yeah, is it there, are, there are other private ones. There's one marked Clinic Q or something like that. Is it? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, there's an assortment of different places, but yeah, Gender Care was the name that people came up with for me, and I looked at their prices and thought, yes, I can manage that, and went ahead with it. That's yeah. Right. And how's how's your how's it been with your your family? Have you did you see receive good support uh, from family and friends? When I first started to mention this, um, I think I mentioned it to my niece first. And my niece works for um, social services just outside Liverpool, so she deals with gay and transgender children right. as part of her job. So okay. So she's you know, fully aware of it. Yeah, you know, I think she was rather intrigued to find that uh, her uncle was now her auntie, and that. Um, yeah. But didn't bat an eyelid, really. Um, my brother-in-law, my late sister's husband, yeah. um, always thought there was something strange about you, and I thought that'll do. That's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> my nephew, who very rarely says very much, just said, "Cool." And I thought, okay, that will do. Okay, that's, that good well. that's good enough. That's good enough. Let's go with that. 
then the information started to come through something I wasn't aware of. I don't know what other families are like, but occasionally there are branches of the family that kind of drift away and um, get lost in the mist of time. Yeah. Eventually, my niece said, you know your second cousin, Tabitha? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you know she's trans woman, don't you? I said, no, I didn't know. There you go. So, Tabitha's mum and I have been in regular contact and they have been just so helpful. They said that the, the issue of being trans wasn't a, sub, wasn't a topic of conversation within their family because their daughter had wanted, wanted to leave it all behind her. But they said, because of your family, come and talk and um, we can talk about it, you know? Yeah. And um, I started mentioning sort of mood swings and all this sort of thing, you know, and she said, oh, you ain't said nothing yet. <laughs> you're you're going to go through. You're going to go through hell. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to try and. I I did go through. I'm just going to tell you that you you got a, yeah probably got some strife coming. She said you can weather the storm. We're here. I did, I did go through a little pit, a little patch where I was, I was a little bit confused for a while. I was I was doing strange strange things like, you know, going in the fridge and leaving my cup of tea in the fridge instead of taking it out with milk in it you know i was i was doing strange things for a while it did take me oh, right. it, it took me a while to kind of adjust but yeah then it was fine but so, when i when i mentioned mood swings and things to my niece who is 50 this year just to put things into perspective and she said uh, she said welcome to the world of estrogen which <laughs> <laughs> is a fair enough comment yeah when you said niece i'm thinking of somebody you know in the teens but yeah She's she's going to be a bit older than that, isn't she? Well, my 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 niece's children are now fourteen and sixteen, and uh, they're all going through puberty. And, uh, yeah. But as far as they were concerned, you know, the, oh, um, Uncle Steve is now Auntie Stephanie, and then subsequently Auntie Fella, and yeah, they just perfectly accept that because in their classes at school are gay and transgender children actually in their school who they actually know. And so for them, yeah. to, have a, for them to have a a gay and or trans aunties. It's not a big thing. No big deal. You know, yeah, that's okay. Thank you. What do we call you now? Hello. Yeah. Okay. I think young people are great. They're so they're so accepting. They're so used to this kind of stuff. It's us, it's us older people that struggle with it. That's right. That's, that's yeah. my experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, my part of my niece's um, terms of, of employment to deal with, um, actually, you know, finding foster and adoptive homes for children and all, all, all sorts of things. She deals with all sorts of problems, you know. So, yeah. So she was perfectly wide open and totally accepting of it all, you know. So I've had absolutely no problem from, from anybody any of my um, neighbours, uh, relatives and, and neighbours. Although in fact, um, the family next door to me here, one side they're Muslims, but they're very westernised and they just said, yeah, that's cool. Okay, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. great, that's great. <laughs> About the worst I've had, let's say the worst, it was a and don't, don't, don't they don't they bring you food and things no, that's right yes I mean, yes yeah. they are just such a wonderful family and i yeah. think they're just so relieved the fact that they've got a neighbor who has um 
doesn't even know what doesn't even know what racism means you know yeah <laughs> i think that's a huge relief to them well, yeah, that's great <laughs> and yeah. um old couple that I know were well, there in their 80s and they did they did express as the feeling a bit awkward about me but at least that's open and honest you know if they say oh well we're feeling a little bit awkward about it they, they, they're coming around to it now I think, I think you know most people who feel awkward about it is because they're adjusting to it it's not it's nothing to do with you it's to do with how they think that's entirely possible, but when they just say, "Well, oh, I feel a bit awkward about it," I, I, that's fair. That's open and honest. I couldn't wish for any yeah. more than that, you know. Yeah. And um, that, that, that's the way things go. But, um, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll they'll come around. I think one of the I think a concept that was put forward to me. I must admit, I didn't actually think of this myself, but somebody put this thing to me that saying that while you're transitioning. Don't forget all your relatives and friends and neighbours. They're all transitioning with you. Well, and, and they're catching up too because, you know, you've known about it for a long time, whereas they haven't. Yeah. So you're you're kind of way ahead of the game. You know all about it. You've done all the research. You know what's going on, but maybe it's very fresh and new for them. Yes, so I think, I think they go through kind of a learning curve as well to, to catch other, up to where you are. And the other thing that didn't occur to me for a while is that, I am possibly the only trans person most of the people around me know. Yeah, yeah. They probably don't know many. Yeah, so that's another another part, part of it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, one of the, this is one of the reasons I do this past podcast is to try and, you know, put forward more trans voices out there so people yeah. people can get to know us. You know. Yeah, that's right. That um, I think it's important. One thing I think that um, I can't remember whether you went during this conversation whether we discussed it, but I actually have green hair, and I thought, Woo. yes, I was I was about to come on to your fashion sense. Let's call it. <laughs> you, whenever I've seen you, you've always had these very very colourful clothes, and you always have a a very colourful backdrop behind you in the, yeah, the you know in, in your video Zoom meetings. <laughs> Seeing you use the word fashion and sense in the same sentence probably doesn't necessarily apply very much. Maybe it doesn't apply in your case, but it's very, it's very colourful. And you do have green hair. That's right. But the pictures, the other pictures I've seen, you have white hair. So when, yeah. did, you, when did you turn green? Um, actually, it was only about two or three months ago. And that was the, 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 the Turkish lady next door did it, <laughs> did it for me. <laughs> but in fact, the, um, a, 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 another interesting experience was the trans pride march that i went on in september 2019 which is the first time i ever in my life gone on a march through yeah. city streets and um, while i was heading up to london on the train i actually arrived very very early i tend to arrive much earlier than I should do. There was hot, nobody around. The place was deserted. The corner of the park was deserted, and we started to think if I'd gone to the right, come to the right place. Then people started trickling in, and I thought, "Am I doing the right thing?" In that time. So anyway, I, um, so, so there I was in my. If you look on my head of my Facebook page, you'll see a picture of me in a floral hat, and I'm wearing yes. a purple um, blouse and. Uh, 
and, and hold, holding a, a Chinese paper fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I have seen that picture many times. So that's, um, we don't know who took it. It's a friend of mine just found it quite by chance on the internet and said, oh, look, I found this picture of you. <laughs> wonderful. So, I, I remember you once in one of your Tuesday meetings, you, you did make the statement that you don't like grey and drab clothing and stuff, that you that's always right. deliberately go for the for the very colourful things. That's, that's right, yeah. Yes, it's, um, my niece described my clothing as the, my uh, explosion in a paint factory style. <laughs> and, uh, yes, so. that's very correct. <laughs> As I say, well, that, that's me, and I've just decided to go for it. And if people don't like it, well, then that's tough, you know. So, what, so, what color hair are you going to have next? Um, you chose the color, yeah. Well, I've got um, I, I found a brand of hair dye called Crazy Color that um, Amazon sells, and that um, and I have a, a, a orange and one that's called Caution Ultraviolet. That's what it's actually called. <laughs> so oh, that's, that my, sounds my, like that sounds like fun. Yeah, so I've got uh, got red, I've got I've got fire and orange and caution ultraviolet and one or two others. <laughs> okay, so I think it's I think it might be time to uh, you know make the change away from green. The, the great thing about having white hair to start with, of course, is you don't, don't don't have to bleach it first or do anything, you know. Yeah, it's a perfect it's the perfect base, isn't it, for all that's these right. different colours. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so uh, do we have one any side, one do we have any dates for the new colour? Have you got any dates in mind? Not at the moment, no. No. Okay. So, Keep us informed. The the, the green, green was inspired by meeting a very pleasant um trans woman called Cara on the uh, London fans pride march and it probably took about a year before I finally plucked up courage just to <laughs> dye my hair. I'd spoken to the lady next door about it and she said, Oh come in, come in, I'll do it for you. So just wondering what happens when you put the um the new colour on top of green. What's gonna happen? I don't know. I could get, I could get an unusual colour there. It could be interesting. Stay maybe tuned. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll bleach it or yeah. get, give it Actually, it's lasting much longer than I thought it was going to be. It, 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 it does, does point out that it, it, it's never going to be 100% permanent because... Um, no, it fades well, over time, doesn't it? It, it will fade and, and, the, uh, and the hair will grow. So, um, yeah. But uh, at my age, hair doesn't grow very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellow, we've come to that stage in the... Um, podcast where I have to ask you the most important question of the day and that is would you like to have a goat a cow or a trumpet womp at the end of your podcast um about the, the closest match one of my favorite anim animals is either a llama or an alpaca am I allowed to have one of those or, or do I just have to have the goat which is I don't think they actually I don't think they have those choices but I think the closest would be the goat wouldn't it uh, yeah, I'll go for the goat which I as far as I've seen so far, it's been more or less unanimous choice, hasn't it? Yeah, it seems to be the most popular. I've had, I've had, I think I had two cows, and I've had a couple that wanted all three. Where did you pick those three names, three things from? <laughs> they are options within the software I use when I put the podcast together. There's a whole host of choices. And those, those are the kind of the three which, which 
stood out. I might I might introduce some other ones later on when I do future podcasts. Okay. But they're just they're just like little jingles that you can add wherever you want to in the podcast. So okay, I can have a goat bleating. A goat. Okay, the goat you shall have. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really nice talking to you. We've had a really good conversation there. We spoke about lots of interesting things in your life. So I, thanks I could, for coming I on. I could go on all day, but uh, obviously the, the shutters have to come down. So Yeah, we, I mean, you know, some of these podcasts have been two and a half hours long, mentioning no names. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get more professional with them, you know, try and keep them within the allotted hour. I've not managed it yet, but you know, getting there. Okay. <laughs> so okay. thank thanks a lot. It was really fun having you on. And, thank you very uh, much, Vicky. That was the most enjoyable experience. I was really getting a bit nervous before, but uh, yeah, you were you were great. Was, I think it's all worked out. Yeah. And we'll probably see you on one of the uh, online forums Absolutely. over the next few days. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just try and stop me. Well, yeah, impossible, I know. So <laughs> Okay, so tatty bye for now. I'll okay. see you see you soon. Cheerio. Bye bye.